hope you're hungry. The table is set. Join us for another cosmic feast. Welcome back. Today's episode, season two, episode six, we'll be covering Jim Sparks' novel, The Keepers. I don't know uh, if any of you out there know anything about this, but this was a crazy, crazy story, a personal story about uh, the retelling of Jim Sparks' many, many, many abductions. (laughs) Um, And on my initial Google search to find this book, I actually discovered that it's very well hidden. I had to like scroll pages and pages to find it. You have to like, you have to type in Jim Spark's name for the book to even come up. Otherwise, just pages of other stuff that has to do with the keepers comes up. And there's like- I don't want you to find this book. There's a bunch of weird stuff. No, for real. There's like a ton of weird stuff we'll talk about at the end of the episode that came up that sent me down a whole long rabbit hole the other night. Um, we'll talk about that at the end. But I'm just curious. Uh, I want to ask you, David, how you knew that this was a book that we had to cover. Like, where did you hear about this book? What made you choose this book? Like, okay, so this is me. a cool story. So basically, do you know the expression, I guess, shelf elf? Do you know that expression? El- elf on a shelf? Not elf on a shelf. Like the Christmas No, elf? no, no. <laughs> a shelf elf, I think it's the term is. It's a term for when books like choose you basically you're searching but then this i i don't know like there's different ways to express that idea but the idea that the book found you it like chose you it like magically kind of materialized when you needed it in in new york city um what i would do is i one of the many wonderful things i like to just spend all my money on was like supernatural books because in anticipation for our show one day i said to myself like i need to start collecting cool books right that was before i got a kindle thank god because then i probably wouldn't have purchased half of the books i purchased so um so what i would do is i would get that instinct to like go find like a, a book that's on the supernatural and i would go find like the housing works bookstore downtown or i would go to some used bookstore and just like kind of like follow my instincts to the supernatural section and see if any of those books spoke to me and it makes sense for supernatural literature because a lot of those editions they don't get republished they're like and you can get a good deal on something that might be really expensive to find a new edition of it or whatever it is. So I did that one day, totally. but this was random. This was in my neighborhood near Park Slope. What I did was I was walking randomly out of nowhere. I'm walking down the street and I get this urge to go to a bookstore. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to a bookstore now. But I'm in a different part of the neighborhood than I normally am in. I was mm-hmm. in. Um, okay. I was in a different part of the neighborhood and I decide to like Google a bookstore near me. I find a small one. I go in there like they're about to close, but I go in there with like 20 minutes left. It's tiny. The bookstore. I just kind of look at the rack that's in front of me. I don't even think it was the supernatural rack. I think it was just like the, the most, the closest to the door rack of books. I look through all these books 
and I find a couple books on aliens, right? I find this, I find no this book in there and it looks like some, the cover is like really like, it looks like it's from the fucking nineties. It was published. Like it's really not very great, like beautiful look, but then I start looking through it and I see that it's like an abduction story and whatever. It just seemed very unusual and special. So I, I asked the guy at the bookstore, I'm like, where do your books come from? I'm like, do you guys take books by the way? They're like, no, no, no. All our books, the majority of our books come from one person, one guy. Oh, wow. And, and <laughs> he gives us all our books. And I asked him like, well, so where did he get these books? Cause there was, there wasn't just this book. There was this famous book by Terrence McKenna on mushrooms and psychedelics. I can't think <laughs> of the name of it right now. Um, but then, you know, there were all these books on this subject, obviously whoever this mysterious guy was, he was interested in aliens. He was interested in hallucinogenics. So, um, I took this book home and it blew me away. And I also, within the book, I found like a message. No. I, I, it, the guy's name was written in there. That's the crazy part. No the way. guy's actual name was in the book and that was creepy to me. And there was like. Like the this book belongs to title page thing? No, it was just like his name was written in there. Like he just signed Yeah, it. and then I tried to find him on Facebook and he, there was no photo. No photo and he wouldn't mm. accept my friend request. So it was like really mysterious circumstances and I'm curious to know what you think. I mean, it it the book found me basically. That's amazing. Well, and then you found me which inadvertently, you know, comes full circle because then I got to read the book and experience it as well. And this is a book I probably would have never found on my own yeah. unless I was walking around random park slope for whatever reason, which I never go to Brooklyn. So that would never it's happen. A book, it's a <laughs> book that most people would not have found on their own. I mean, I do think that some people have covered it. I think MU has covered it, but this is not a book that stands out. It's not an easy book to find. And it really did find me because when I read it, I was like, chilled to the bone with some of the content in it yeah well y'all are about to be chilled to the bone as well because we're gonna do some intense story retelling here so you ready for the headlines Dave? yeah i don't even know where chilled to the bone came from that expression just came out of my soul <laughs> like the core of my soul the song is like bad to the bone right and you so you hear that right but now you're gonna hear it like chilled to the bone that used to be a good song. All right, now that I did my lip exercise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's all you that's all you were doing there. <laughs> uh headlines for today include Alien Boot Camp, Are You a Killer, Telekinesis and Reproduction, SOBMIBs, Graduation Day, The Gift and The Message. Ooh. All right, well, let's get started. Obviously, I want to give you just a little background on Jim Sparks and who this man is. Um, and then we'll get into the storytelling. And of course, we'll take a moment to share some personal synchronicities, break it up a little Excellent. bit. Um, so let's start with Jim's backstory. So Jim Sparks uh, describes himself as a very average man. Um, I found a, like very few pictures of him, but he has this glorious uh, dark mullet oh, yeah. and a very healthy full mustache. So if that gives you an idea of <laughs> this type of guy. He's right? a mullet man. He's born in Florida, 
He's a mullet man. He spent most of his life in Florida. Um, he's an Italian man. I actually found out that his real birth name is Vincent Sparacino. I don't know when or why he changed his name to Jim Sparks, but he studied real estate. Pretty average, just average Joe Schmo. Um, sold and bought properties and built properties. Um, he lived in Texas for most of his adult life, but he had properties in North Carolina. Um, and he says he married his dream wife. Her name is Teresa. Uh, she's blonde, smart, very funny. They're a very independent couple. They like both do their own thing. But Jim had some strange occurrences that started in uh, 1988 and went up to present day, or at least when this book was published in 2006. Uh, so again, this book that we're referencing is called The Keepers. Uh, subtitle is An Alien Message for the Human Race. Mm -hmm. As most people, when they are first abducted by aliens, he thought he was just possessed by evil spirits and it was a very jarring experience for him uh he almost went crazy in a way but uh he was able to find a support group and um find people who believed him and listened to him and let him kind of get things out of his system and uh so since then he's been doing a lot of like speeches publicly and and at conventions and and helping other people who are struggling with the same kind of experiences odd thing is is there's not really a whole lot out there about him post like i i guess um david sent me an interview recently uh that was posted in 2012 but the interview was recorded in 2011 and that's the latest information that i could find about him anywhere so I don't know what he's been doing for the last 10 years. Um, again, we'll talk about kind of his like future endeavors after this book at the end of the book and where that sent me down a rabbit hole. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk but. about that a little bit <laughs> for sure. But I think the unique thing about this book is that contrary to, to our other episodes where you have, other than the, the intersect episode maybe, like this is one guy's story, one account of their abductions throughout their life this is like linear I, and I like that. It's like you get to just kind of see it all from one perspective. And I can imagine how traumatic it is that you would need support groups because who else, who else would understand, right? Alcoholics need other alcoholics, like uh, mm -hmm. abductees, like who else could sympathize with you? I mean, what could anybody possibly yeah. say to you about this, right? Right, other than ah, oh, just that crazy old bastard yeah. over there who won't stop talking about aliens, yeah. gee whiz. He has fantasies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so Jim went through what he refers to as alien school, and that's what I'm going to call this, like, alien boot camp. Um, and he kind of, after everything happened and he was able to reflect on it, um, he assumed it, it was as a kind of insurance policy. That's how he describes it, on the, on the human race. Um, for future hybrids and, like, continuing the human race just in case anything were to happen, like, to our planet or to us or you know nuclear explosives and who knows who knows so uh that that's what these abductions were they were kind of uh putting him through the schooling giving him this knowledge that he wouldn't have gotten from other humans to kind of help give the human race an idea for their future and what's going to be happening um, due to their own destructive tendencies. Uh, so these these aliens, the the civilization that he, uh, Jim correlated with, um, they referred to themselves as star people. And uh, in other books and things that we've talked about in past episodes, they're kind of what we refer to as the greys, right? Um, they're one of many advanced cultures out there. Uh, Jim actually thinks that it, he's he made a list of kind of like some things that he thinks define this culture specifically. He thinks that the greys 
or the star people, like he refers to them, are actually us from the future. They're hybrid humans that have the ability to travel travel interdimensionally. Wow. Yeah, and uh, they radiate a specific energy that paralyzes you, which we've talked about in past episodes too. Whenever they are near or whenever they are taking you somewhere or showing you something, they they can transmit hundreds of thoughts all at the same time. They have telepathic abilities, can create any reality they want you to see. He refers to this as screen imaging, which we'll talk about. He thinks that they have some kind of activated technology. They have like these very skinny rods that like are tapered at the end and they're kind of like a metal rod. I mean, it's what you would think of when you think of like, oh, magic wand. Uh, yeah, the, <laughs> but the they're rods, somehow activated. The rods factor yeah. in. In, in a lot of stories yeah it's like their weapon mm-hmm. their tool right right yes it's and it's activated technology that they can just use their mind to to function like it doesn't have like an on off button you know that we would be used to it's not bluetooth okay <laughs> uh <laughs> but this this culture they're able to pass through like solid matter through dimensions to distort time and their technology is so advanced that it appears to be what we know as magic right so those are kind of some of the those are those are your you just went right for the jugular like you didn't even you didn't even like uh lube us up or like get us ready like i thought you're gonna start how it starts for him or is this just kind of is this like the trailers is this like the trailers that now have the entire trailer in the beginning and then you're about to cut to the beginning of the trailer uh no it's it's funny that you say that i just there's so much to cover and like we've we've been through a lot of this before so it's kind of like let me just give you a quick summummary and then we'll get into it so it, it's exactly we, it's exactly now. like it's, those trailers i forget what they call that <laughs> it's time for alien boot camp are you ready yes i'm ready <laughs> okay so it's the summer of 1988 the dreams begin for jim he starts having the same dream over and over where he would wake up paralyzed and in the dream, he the same thing happens. He's pulled out of bed by entities. He's guided to his guest room. He walks through the window, which you know is also part of the wall in the house, just walks straight through it across the lawn and directly into the woods. Then he would black out and he would wake up coming back the same way. And that happened two to three times a week, like the whole rest of 1988 through December. Um, and in December, Creepy. he started experiencing longer bouts of this paralysis than usual. Like he could not get up for hours and hours and he felt so groggy afterward. And he was like, man, I need to I need to do something about this. Like these dreams are more than just dreams at this point. Like they're they're cutting into his day to day life. Like he can't go to work on time. He can't like get the things done for his day that he needs to. So um, he decides that he's going to like start tracking these dreams and seeing what's happening and trying to pay attention, especially to the points where he would black out and see if he can figure out what's going on. So in De- in late December, when he makes this decision, he comes out of his paralysis. And once he's able to walk again, he goes straight to that guest room and he looks down on the carpet and he sees these like residual footprints and some are human footprints and some are like weird little dots that don't look like footprints at all. And he sees like debris from um, the yard outside, like whether it's freshly mowed grass or like leaves falling. Like he sees the debris in the little in the bedroom, pollen in the bedroom on the carpet. Wow! And it like like he even sees half a footprint that's um on the carpet, and then he looks out the window, and the other half of the footprint is on the grass outside. So it's like this is really weird, and he feels like he can't tell anyone about it. So he just keeps vacuuming it up, not telling his wife. Like you know, 
He's just like, I got an this uncomfortable out feeling that would be. <laughs> yeah. Right. So the first thing that he starts paying attention to when he's pulled into this dream is looking at the entities that are taking him. So he's trying to like open his eyes and focus and he sees that they're like, they're a short frame, right? They're not entirely human unless they're a child, right? They're just like, they're a short stout frame, but he can't make out many details until one morning in late December, he wakes up and he looks at the clock. It's 3.30 a.m. He drifts back to sleep, but then he realizes he can't open his eyes even if he wanted to. So he starts using his ears to listen intently, and he hears a low-pitched whirring sound. He feels a deep fear. He can't scream. He's He's having cold sweats, and he becomes overwhelmed by the sound, and then all of a sudden it stops, and there's silence. And he gets the ability to open his eyes again. And when he opens them, he sees that he's sitting on a bench in a foreign room and he's leaning his head on a screen. He has no peripheral vision. He can't look from left to right. And he feels the humidity in the air and something smells like rotten eggs. And this is something that occurred from then on. This is just his first time. What what did the smell or the... The, the smell, the feeling in the air, the taste in his mouth, like this was all stuff that he was consciously taking note of and that continued to happen as, as these. It seems like they have his consciousness like in a box, like with blinders on, right? Like it's, he's trying to break yeah. free because they really have him contained. Like he really, they kind of put him in like a hypnotic state, right? He's he's in a yeah, hypnosis yeah. basically of some kind. Absolutely, which, which is, terrifying because they can do practically whatever they want to him he has no control over his own body um i i I think he has control over his own mind but he had to consciously make that decision to like turn it on and be aware during these blackout moments right so uh, oh i thought a really fun descriptor that he said is that when he woke up on that bench like the feeling in the air was that he didn't feel like he was like a human being on earth anymore he felt like he was the guts of of an old computer if if you can even try to imagine what that feels like oh. he felt like he was he was the guts of an old computer the guts of an old computer that is a bizarre way to describe that sort of feeling right yeah and is his physical body on the ship or is is it one of those situations where he's traveling psychically right. i don't know well, I mean, you have to think about the footprint thing. It kind of suggests that his physical body might be there with himself. He Seems just doesn't that way. feel the same. So it, all of a sudden, in the middle of his head, he hears, You will learn this. And that's what we come to know as telepathy, right? People communicating directly to your brain and telling you exactly what you need to hear. It doesn't really matter. The language barrier doesn't matter because it's just it's a communication phase that they can just send you exactly what they want you to hear and all of a sudden he is able to lift up his head from the screen and a giant letter a the english letter a appears on the screen next to a foreign like streak mark and uh he kind of is resisting whatever's happening he's not really sure and again the voice says you will learn this and he's very resistant at first because he's like you can't tell me what to do like what is even happening (laughs) and um he comes to realize that the that the streak next to the the English letter A is actually it's Italian uh, Italian oh my god alien language equivalent it's the Italian <laughs> language buongiorno would you like a pizza 
Would you like more Parmesan? You will learn. The this. alien waiter comes yeah. over, like in our graphic, and is like, "Would you like more pepper, sir?" Oh my god. Okay, so it was the alien language equivalent, not Italian language. Um, but again, he's very resistant to learning, and and he starts to feel this air pressure in his head that becomes painful and pounding, and he realizes it's their form of torture. Like, so he finally traces the Ooh. letter, the the alien letter, and immediately after he does that, the pain went away and his whole body felt it's like a fucking deadly migraine or something right it's like Uh, yeah yeah exactly air pressure just yeah Mm. like pushing down from the inside of your head like you're gonna spontaneously combust that'll do it it's kind of freaky yeah right so he he finally figures out okay if i cooperate i get this good feeling this euphoric feeling and if i refuse i get pain this pressure air pressure in my head um and as soon as he figures that out he's sent back to his bed and he wakes up face down on his pillow and he's able to look over at the clock that reads 5 30 a.m so two hours passed just just to learn that first letter <laughs> of the alien not italian alphabet uh so the next night jim is kind of like freaked out uh, because he's remembered so much more than just what these dreams have been over the last six months um so he sleeps on the couch and all of a sudden he's woken up paralyzed again cold sweats all the same feelings 3 30 a.m on the dot on the clock and uh, he he describes being bathed in a field of intense static so i feel like this kind of goes with the whole guts of the old computer thing like that's kind of yeah just being bathed in an intense field of static Mm. Um, this green cloud appears in front of him and it shifts into a hologram of an owl, um, which he finds out later that that's very common in a lot of abduction stories. I don't know that we've heard much about this owl, but it kind of was a symbol for learning. Like, hey, time to go to school. <laughs> Here's a little little Like owl a screen, screen memory. Mm-hmm. Like a hologram. So this went on for months. Um, he was always brought to that s- the school in that same way. Like he would have like horrible vertigo and like the air pressure and the whirring sound and just being like pulled up and oh god, um, and having that intense air pressure. Yeah, like really. It's almost like tor- It's like torture, you know. Yeah, which is why he was so resistant when he would get to the school. He'd be like, like screw you guys. He ca- he called them bastards. He'd be like, you bastards. How how dare you? You're not going to brainwash me. And he would always f- fight back no matter how good that reward felt when he would actually trace the letters. Um, he just he yeah, he didn't he didn't want to do it because it was like you're pulling me out of, you know, without I, I'm not I don't get a choice in this matter. It's not. Yeah, fair. it's it's not a good feeling to be to be subjected no. to this these experiments. Like he's in the prison of his own mind. He can't even sleep properly. This is like the only time when the body has to like recuperate and he's being pulled to another dimension or ship or somewhere. Yeah. So I, I can't even imagine. I'm a, I'm a good sleeper. I love sleep. So if anyone bothers my, my beauty sleep, they're going to hear about it. <laughs> would, would you would you mind going to some galactic classroom to learn a new language? Okay, so yeah, that's a good question because I was thinking about it the whole time being like, no, this would be so cool if I got the opportunity to do this. But like really the whole, the fear of the whole thing, the way it was happening, like he got no warning. He would just like wake up completely. I mean, you can imagine how terrified you'd be if you just woke up paralyzed and you're like, oh shit, it's happening again. Like you don't. You don't get to have that choice. You don't get to prepare yourself mentally or be like, okay, yep. Mm-hmm, and that's the this. thing. It's not. It's not done like it, if you were a human trying to do this to another human, and you were trying to do it sensitively and like compassionately. That's not what this is. This is not done by somebody no. with like a human compassionate touch. This is done in a very clinical fashion, 
and it's and and it, one thing that's very clear to me about this story especially when you when you when you talk about this part is like it's very unclear what their intentions are and it's a bit ominous right you know it's a bit it's a yeah. bit dark well and and i'm sure that he is feeling like he could be killed at any moment yeah. too like feeling that air pressure in your head like not knowing where it's coming from or how intense it can right. get is just like oh my god are they gonna blow my head up <laughs> like like in mars attacks <laughs> but reversed sure and um, it's like it's like being a tortured you know? prisoner of of but even weirder because you're you're a prisoner of an alien race or an interdimensional unfamiliar race. torture yeah. yeah you can't even like this is torture that yeah any kind of human prisoners would never go through. This is, it's beyond explanation and interpretation. It just has that added layer of like, you don't know, you don't know, like you're, you're, you're in the unknown, you know, you're, you're at least with human beings, you think like, oh, I can rationalize with them. I can talk to them right. or maybe my government will speak to them or maybe something will happen if you're a prisoner. I don't know. You'll get lucky in this situation. I think you're right. That powerlessness <laughs> is very humbling but lucky for us we've read the book so if we were ever taken in the same way we we kind of at least sort of know what to expect we're like oh, okay we're gonna go learn learn an alien alphabet let's do would this. you would you have <laughs> i'm gonna be the would pro. you have the balls though to be like him and like scream at them you know what i mean and like fight with them i really i really i don't know i, I don't know that i would because i think i know i i like to think of myself as such a fighter like when you think of those instances of of like you know, humans being kidnapped or being like taken or uh, uh, like, um, you know, like tortured in a back alley or something like that. Like, I always think like, oh, I would do so much to that guy and like kick him in the balls and, you know, like fuck his shit up, stab him in the thigh, twist that knife. You know, like I'm not worried about that. But when it's when it's an entity that's like not even you, he's not even seen any people at this point. Like he's by himself in a room and someone's talking to the middle of his head. Like, how do you defend yourself? <laughs> there is no defending. You just have to succumb to it. Hope for the best, I guess, <laughs> that you'll end up back in your bed in a couple hours. You really are like crawling <sighs> out of the lowest place that you can, defending yourself with your arms tied behind your back. You know, it's for interesting real. the way he reacts. Yeah, it is. So going one time, actually, uh, two of these smaller alien, he calls them workers. So he calls the, the little ones, the short, stout ones that kind of pull him up that he noticed um he calls them workers uh so he, two two of these alien workers came into the room and uh he was being really resistant and so they like did this screen imaging thing where they turned into human cops right and he just kind of laughed in their face and be like oh really you think you're gonna scare me with that and then they turned into human military and you know just basically trying to like threaten him as like what they think the human race would be threatened by to like obey obey the law we are the law you know and uh but it didn't work obviously he was like laughing in their face and all of a sudden he feels this huge burst of energy on his right side and it like it hurt deep in his gut and in his brain he describes it as if a t-rex was sniffing him from behind that's what he that's the feeling of energy that it felt like can you just imagine like a giant entity like a giant t-rex but you know with the with the teeth like dripping slobber just being like <sighs> like right up there right by your ear and you can't move you can't even look at it <laughs> interesting um, 
Yeah, right? So he knew that he was meeting uh, what he refers to as the supervisor, kind of like the uh, 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 the next level up of this culture, right? So yeah, someone that has more power, uh, at least. Yeah, maybe they were the ones creating the air pressure when he's resisting anyway. So he describes these two characters as well. So the workers, again, he describes them as like smaller and he also says they're more drone-like, like they're robotic. They're very emotionless. They don't like have any kind of like they don't show any emotion or like human features that like, you know, show sympathy or anger or anything. They're just kind of like blank slates. Um, so he kind of is wondering if they're created by the supervisors that seem like they're more sentient beings. Um, they're short. They have large eyes. They have leather like featureless faces, just like, you know, the, the typical descriptions for what you think. These about. are the supervisors. Um no, these are the okay. workers, the the drones, the robots. The supervisors, he says, have a larger head than like a, a normal human head, but it is more proportioned to their bodies than the drones are. The drones are like really, they both have like skinny atrophied bodies, but the, the supervisors are more proportioned. And they're more human looking? <laughs> um, and they're more, they're more sentient. I wouldn't say that they're human looking. They, they both look exactly the same. It's oh, okay. just that these, the, the supervisors seem to have some sort of like, emotion flowing through them and and power and like sentient power you know whereas the little ones are more just like beep beep pop robot i am robot yeah yeah you know. okay okay <laughs> yeah so yeah so so he again he's just going through months and months of this alien boot camp and uh after he learns the equivalence for letters a and b in the alien language um all of a sudden instead of showing a and b the words the words on the screen change to power and lust for those same symbols and so he is like okay so he traces the symbol for lust and on the screen a woman in a robe appears and if he keeps tracing it she like would slowly disrobe and he so he realizes okay so he's using this symbol to uh like as as a form of power to you know lust upon this woman which is very interesting. And it's just an image. It's not like an actual. So it's almost like he's so. learning their telepathic language. Exactly. Visualizing, visualizing a symbol that can change something in your reality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Jim is having a hard time. He again, he's not sleeping well. He's not eating well. Like this is just pretty much taking up his whole life and he can't do his real estate business properly. Um, and he's like, I, I don't know who to go to for help. And he said many times in this book, like he never once thought about like, oh, aliens. He just was like, this is they're just different. They're not human because he didn't know enough about like mainstream, like UFO, all the all the oh, yeah. silly, you know, ads. And the, yeah, he didn't read all that stuff and he didn't really watch TV. He didn't listen to the radio. So he didn't know what it was. And he was like, well, the only person I can think of that could maybe give me some form of protection would be my pastor. So he ends up going to calling his pastor for help. And uh, his pastor, you know, took it well and was quiet and listened and then said, um, I actually have someone that uh, knows a little bit more about this than I do. And I would like to bring them in and we can have a meeting together. And immediately after he hangs up with this call, he's like, OK, we'll meet up on, I don't know, Friday. So it was like a couple days later. And immediately after he hangs up on this call, he feels surrounded by this electricity again and it's sm that smell of rotten eggs comes back but now he's like sitting in his living room experiencing that and so he's kind of feeling uneasy and like oh lord 
what's going to happen? All of a sudden, these three marble-sized phosphorus balls of green light materialize in front of him, and they hover over the coffee table. And this is happening in the middle of the afternoon. It's like, he's not dreaming. He just hung up the phone. They form into a triangle, and they produce an owl, again, staring at him. So he screams at them. He's like, leave me alone. And then the lights just disappear. Mm. And out of the corner of his eye, he sees two figures running away. And so he gets up and he hears all this movement up in his attic all of a sudden. He's like, oh, my God, like I am being possessed. There are ghosts and poltergeists in this house. Like, you know, he's kind of thinking it's probably more like demonic activity at this point because it's not just in his dreams. So he got up super quickly to like chase after them, but they were already gone. And he felt this charge, like this electromagnetic force, which he refers to as a residual effect. And that that happens throughout the rest of his life. Like any time that. Even when he's not being pulled any anywhere, like he just has this, he kind of radiates this electromagnetic field and he can feel when the entities are close. He he gets that same fuzzy feeling like surround, like he's in the guts of an old computer. <laughs> and so, yeah, he starts wondering, like maybe they're coming out of a different dimension and that's how they're able to just come in the middle of the afternoon and like they can just pass easily into our right. dimension from yeah. their own. So th- this is when, he, you know, he's, He's sleeping like one to two hours a night. He's already like his mind is already not. Oh my god! It's pretty frazzled, you know. He's not, <laughs> and he has all, he has to wait all week to meet with this pastor and this qualified person that the pastor is going to bring. And um, he gets pulled the night before the meeting, and th- for some reason this time felt different. So there's a pastor involved. <laughs> the, well, they're about to have this meeting, but the night before the meeting, he gets pulled. Again, right? And this time feels I different. I like that expression pulled. I just want to say, I think that's a very cool term for someone getting yanked out of their reality. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, didn't, I never even really thought about it. I, I don't know if that if I'm the one who said that. I think he says it in the book, like I was pulled right. again. But yeah, he said this time felt different for some reason. There's this voice. And it's again, it spoke in the middle of his head and, and he ends up on the bench and it says, this is not pleasing to God. And Jim oh. like, immediately begins infuriated. He's like, how dare you try to trick me into thinking God is doing right. this? Really? Like, I'll squeeze your big head off your skinny little neck. <laughs> you know, calling him, calling him naughty names and stuff. And uh, and they were just silent after that. Like he threw out a bunch of threats and they had nothing to say. So he ends up going back to school and he starts learning the numbers one through six. And um, so he's like, whatever, just goes along with it. He just he just wants to get back home at this point because he has shit to do. Right. And uh, so he learns numbers one through six. And out of nowhere, the voice in his head again says time to compete. <laughs> Finish him. <laughs> yeah. They, Mortal they want him voice. to. To play some Mortal Kombat, some some holographic Star yeah. Wars Mortal Kombat. <laughs> exactly. So, th- yeah, they say time to compete. And all of a sudden, he's able to look out of his peripheral vision. And he turns his head to the right where he sees this corridor to an identical room that looks just like his. But instead of him sitting there, his wife, Teresa, is sitting oh there. Oh, my God. This, <laughs> this just gets and worse and worse like, for this guy. <laughs> right he screams out her name he's like Teresa and she looks toward him but it's almost as if she's looking through him and he keeps calling out to her and then she just turns back to the screen and starts tracing all the let all the numbers like rapid fire and she's really good at it this takes us to our first scene (laughs) so the alien says compete compete I can't keep up with this stop stop make it stop 
She's good, isn't she? That's my wife. You bastards have my wife. She's not yours. She's ours. Always has been. Always will be. She doesn't belong to you or anyone. Teresa is my wife. No, she has always been ours. Look. On the screen in front of Jim, a projection begins in a hospital room. A child is being born. The scene fades to a young child sleeping in a bed. It fades again to show a teenage Teresa making out with her first boyfriend. Enough. That's enough. Now I understand. I don't like it, but I understand. You've been keeping track of her all her life. Me as well? Yes. Why? There is no response. He asks. Why? I hate you more than anything I've ever hated in my life. You have invaded me to the core of my being. From all I can tell, nothing is sacred to you. What a pathetic existence you endure. Sure, you have the technology, but you're like robots, empty and hollow. I'd like to kill you all. You don't have emotions, do you? Answer me. Do you? Teresa. Teresa. Is is she okay? They were as silent as the spaces between the stars. Uh, all of a sudden, Jim is whirred back to his bed, but he can't open his eyes or move. And he he's just like lying there waiting for the ability to move because he wants to go check on his wife, right? He wants to see if she's okay. Up until this moment, did his wife think this was just he was going through some crazy stuff or were they both having these dreams and did they talk about it? We we about to okay. find out, but he has not talked to her yet about it because he's like she'll never believe me anyway. Wow. And, um, and and like I said earlier, they were they're a very independent couple. They kind of do their own thing, so they don't. I don't think this would be something that they would like sit down and talk about over dinner. Um, Interesting. <laughs> but finally, he he gains the ability to open his eyes. He sees the clock reads ten a.m. and he runs into his into the the bedroom to see if Teresa's there. He was on the couch. Um, so he runs to the bedroom and he sees Teresa sleeping. And typically she's like up and at him by like 6.30 a.m. So it's 10 a.m. and she's still sleeping. So he like shakes her and he wakes her up. And thankfully she's alive. She like rolls over and she's like, oh, I feel so groggy. I, I must be getting sick. And he immediately is like, okay, I just had this experience. Like it was like a dream, but you were in it. We were like competing and writing all these numbers and stuff. Do you remember anything? And she, she replies, she's like, oh, are you? talking about the helpers from heaven the and helpers like, helpers from heaven <laughs> from heaven that, that must he's be like uh that's not quite my experience but that must be teresa the name of teresa's yeah. book the helpers from heaven oh yes we got the keepers and the helpers they just so happen to be the same people different <laughs> just how you different interpret interpretations yeah right so um they, they kind of have like a back and forth and he's like trying to get more out of her to say like did, were we actually there together were you there were you experiencing the same things i were and she tells jim like i'm not supposed to talk about this they they don't want me to talk about it and so she's like avoiding all of his questions and then she tells him like listen i'm not gonna talk about it anymore i refuse to talk about it ever again and to this day she's your own wife won't even talk to you your own wife i mean that shows you the power of brainwashing right there yeah right but she like is admitting that it was happening to some form, but just didn't want to talk about yeah. it. Right. So super, super creepy, weird. 
It's 10 a.m. now. The pastor's coming. He comes and knocks on the door. He introduces Jim to a man named Tom that he brings in. And they sit down. He tells him his entire story. And all the way up to mentioning the experience he had last night with Teresa. And he he calls her in the room. And he's like, Teresa, right? Like, tell, him, tell the pastor what happened to us last night. And she just says, I don't know what Jim's talking about. I've never heard of this in my life. And walks out of the room. Making him look fucking crazy. And... I, you know, like Jim Jim said, I guess her way of coping with these abductions was to just deny sure. its existence. That makes sense. And so, of course, uh, Tom, Tom, the pastor's friend, immediately says, well, there's demonic activity going on. And Jim just laughs in his face and is like, this is not demonic. Like, I'm being taken somewhere. I'm. This is really happening. And the pastor says, well, if it's not demonic activity, it's got to be the drugs you're using then. <laughs> and Tom says, yeah, in my experience, drugs and evil spirits are always linked. So naturally, Jim is pissed. He's like, get out of my house. I don't want to see you again. And they, at, like the last thing they said to him was that they, they think he should go into rehab. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he doesn't and see this as falling under that category. He feels completely alienated. Ooh, funny word to use. Uh, he, like he can't go to anyone right about this. He's tried now with his wife and his pastor, both being like completely just. Oh turned, man. Turned the fact that he can't even talk to his wife about it and his wife like, Oh, what a nightmare. Yeah. That would that, kill. That would that would, that would kill, kill a lot me. of people just to to realize that your own the person you love the most, your your best friend, like you know, is 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 trapped, right. and they just like believe the whole like she believes the God thing with them. She's like, yeah, they're they are who they yeah. say they are. That's you know, I've got to deal with them. I'm not. Yeah, she they're my they're my little helpers from heaven. They're they're helping me get into heaven. That's all I'm doing. I'm like learning these weird symbols just so I can get into heaven, yo. God. Ay ay ay. Yeah. So Jim just feels completely alone. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He's like falling into a state of depression. He's been getting this is like now we're in 1989. So this stuff has been happening for a little over a year now, and this is another very interesting story. So he wakes up 3:20 a.m. All, all these times, you know, we've talked about this too before, the, the witching hour or whatever, after nothing good happens after 3 sure. a.m. Uh, <laughs> but it, it seems he's he's trying to remember the time specifically to see like how they correlate and what that means. So 3.20 a.m., a ball of light appears over the couch where he's still sleeping and it turns into a wobbly phosphorescent figure eight, right? So the infinity symbol. Jim decides, I'm not... I'm not going to take this anymore. Uh, I'm done. I don't want to be taken. I don't want to be pulled. I, I'm so over this. Like, I just want to get a freaking good night's sleep. And I'm on the couch. So he gets up. He he gets dressed. He wakes up Teresa, who's like super groggy. He gets her dressed. And he gets in the car. And they start to drive away. And he turns down the first road he can find, which just conveniently ends up that all the street lights are out. And there's not a house in sight. There's no lights. So it's a very dark street. And Teresa, all of a sudden, this very out of character for her, he says, lurches for the steering wheel and just screams at Jim. She says, pull over! And so he's, like, terrified. And so he just pulls the car over and he, like, you know, slams on the brakes and just kind of looks at her. And they both immediately pass out. Wow. Jim feels himself being moved. But again, he's in this paralytic state. He can't open his eyes. And he feels himself being just carried through the air. And he, he regains the ability to open his eyes and he sees that he's outside of his car. Like he just went through the door. Like it, the door never opened. Nothing ever happened. He just went through it and was outside. And he feels someone holding onto his right arm. And he, he but again, he, no peripheral vision, right? So he looks straight ahead and he sees this, sh- this craft, like a ship 
in the distance behind the tree line. And he's like, great. I can't even escape if I wanted to. Back to school again. But he said that this way, like, they just walked him into the ship this time. Like, he wasn't, he didn't have this jarring experience of, like, the whirring sound and the pressure in the head and, like, being pulled and, like, you know, like, <laughs> intradimensionally, right? So, this time he just, he went first, to, like, cl- he went first class this in. time to, with his, with his, with his <laughs> yeah. trapper keeper and everything. <laughs> yeah. So, note to self, always drive down a dark road if you feel like you're going to be abducted. And then it's a lot easier. <laughs> Um, but so he gets inside the school and he sees a bull ant and it's crawling in a circle on the table in front of him, just in a perfect circle. And the word experiment shows up on the screen in front of him and he sees that figure eight symbol again. So he knows something, something's going on with this ant and he needs to draw that figure. And then the symbol changes to the word kill and he doesn't move. He doesn't do anything. And this voice commands him, draw the symbol to kill the ant. No. I won't kill. The air pressure in Jim's head increases and becomes painful. No. More air pressure occurs and Jim shouts through gritted teeth. You will never force me to kill. Killing is wrong. Jim is in agony from the pain. You bastards will have to kill me first because I won't do it. Go ahead. I'm not afraid to die. Jim is shown a screen image of his brother moments from dying in a hospital bed. He knows he must draw the symbol or his brother will die. He traces the figure eight on the screen. The ant curls into a ball and dies, and the air pressure drops immediately. Through tears, Jim says, Why did you do this to me? We had to be sure. Sure what? That you're not a killer. You're not. Jim blacked out and woke up in his car. He slowly opened his eyes and saw Teresa slumped over in the passenger seat. Once he was able to, he turned on the car, which woke her up. She asked, Why did you turn off the road? Was there an emergency? Teresa, how long do you think it's been since we left the house? Uh, just a few minutes? Jim motions to the clock, showing that hours had passed. What did we leave for in the first place, Jim? I just needed to take a ride, and I wanted you with me. Jim, I I think you need help. Yeah, so he really is alone. She's not having the same experience he is, where he's freaking out, traumatized, fighting for his life, being, you know... He's having like the concentration camp sci-fi experience and she is just oblivious to she's not she's numb right. to it in a way. She she's a more successful mm-hmm. version of this experiment than he is, I think. Yeah. In in a yeah. way, at least from this perspective at this point in the story. Right. I wonder if that's because she like we were talking about like would you just do it or would you resist like Jim is? Like maybe if maybe she just you know, she gave in. She was just like, okay, whatever. I'll just trace the things. It's just a dream, like yeah. big deal. And so therefore she got a lot of that euphoric feeling and was just like, oh my God, I want to stay here forever. Like it feels yeah. so good to be here. You know, she probably not, not once received that air pressure pain that Jim's receiving. And so, yeah, their, their interpretations of the same experience are just so different. Didn't you find that what makes his reactions and his narrative unique what makes him unique, I think, in this scenario is that he really does resist his principles as mm-hmm. a person. His his tactic is to resist. And like that's maybe yeah. maybe other people wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that because we're not. This is who he is like he he fights it and he fights it mentally. He kind of finds whatever small inch he can find where he has control of his mind or whatever it is. And he fights from that point on his, 
experience of this is different because of how much he tries to pull back and take control. It makes me wonder why why these aliens even keep him in their roster of like people that they're pulling because like what's the point if he just keeps fighting back he's not learning anything anyway like this is this is going to be a long hard road for both both groups here well let's talk about that more after we we discuss where this goes because i think that's a good question i'm just going to kind of brush over this because he also kind of brushed over it but like he succumbs to the teachings for a while and several weeks pass and like he tries to go to a hotel to get away and they still pull him and like he can't get away from anything so he just gives in and he starts learning that these uh letter equivalents like the the shape for the a and the shape for the b that are the alien language equivalents are actually movements um, toward telepathy and like there's one moment where he's given a ball and a, and a cube and a pyramid and he's told to like draw the, the symbols for A, B, and C and each one moves that object in its own way. It's kind of like if I'm I don't know I just I compared it to Harry Potter like when it's like when Guardian Leviosa not when Guardian Leviosa you know and so it's like the way you swish and flick your wand is going to do a different magic trick you know <laughs> and that that's kind of how i interpreted that so they're teaching him telepathy right so he's kind of like okay this is kind of cool and he's getting that euphoric sense again so he's feeling a little bit more trusting and then the medical procedures start which is this is stuff that we've heard about from lots of abductions because sometimes the most jarring experience is the one that actually sticks in your brain later and right. so medical procedures but we're talking about like he's paralyzed he can't do anything they are they are artificially and naturally pulling semen out of him. Like he has no choice but to. This is the to actual. This is the up. actual literal pull. The pull on his on on his <laughs> on his, on his Johnson, Johnson exactly. Yeah, yeah, but he and he can't do he can't do anything. And but you know, it's like I just got to this point of like trusting them. They're teaching me telepathy, and then they do this bullshit to me. Like. And of course, the anal probing, uh, all the above. So he doesn't go into detail about that. He's like, that's for another story. But it does happen to him. So and and again, he doesn't know that these are common occurrences with abductions until way later. Like he doesn't even find a support group until 1994. So we're still we're still in 89, 1990 at this point. And he's going through these terrible experiences without knowing that other people are going through the same thing. And he's having a really hard time dealing mm, with it. Wow. Right? Um, yeah. So he he escapes to uh, North Carolina for a while, which is where some of his residential properties are. And he has another uh, one of his uh, rent real estate buddies lives there. And so he stays with him. His name is also Jim. Actually, Jim Johnson. That's kind of funny. Um and like he his marriage is like being torn apart and he can't do anything about it like he didn't even tell Teresa that he was going to North Carolina he just like left her a note being like I'll be home when I can like trying to figure some shit out he becomes a drunk like he he thinks I don't know maybe if I just like <laughs> drink to a stupor that they won't pull me because I I'm so drunk but they still do and somehow when he's pulled he like becomes immediately stone cold sober and uh, they make him they're making him read all these things like they make him read it in English and then he reads it again in the alien language and he's he's finding out that he's able to interpret it and translate it and they start condensing the language to like symbols his friend Jim they they show his whole life story 
the past, the present, and the future of his friend. And he's reading it and his like jaws just dropped. He can't believe he's reading all this stuff about his friend. And they condense it into this like single alien symbol. And he's able to, just like they are, have hundreds of thoughts within a moment. Wow. You know, of just like reading say like 25 pages of someone's autobiography in a as second, as you're right? saying that i can i can imagine that in a very strange way yeah. you know it's just it's just yeah. a fusion of of every kind of corner of human knowledge coming together you know whether it's like Ooh. mathematics and Chills. meditation and instinct just fusing together yeah. you know god and that's the part where I was like, damn, I want to be taken to this school because I want to learn how to do that. But again, you know, with with the with the way he's being pulled, it's like, do you really want to endure that? And that's kind of like, is this going to happen forever for the rest of my life? Is it like a limited time of being abducted or you just never know? So one thing it, quickly is that I'm noticing that it doesn't seem like they are because you would think like beings in the future, like, does this mean that? The technology is so far advanced that like they have like the right iPhone interface for lack of a better term. Like they they have the right mm. program or chip in their head, but they're training him to do this stuff without technology. Yeah. Or without that high hybrid breeding. Right. Like he doesn't need to be bred with another kind of being to be able Perhaps to the yeah. assumption is that what what we have assumed in 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 this kind of in, in the world of the supernatural is that human beings do have these abilities. Like these abilities are already there. They are right. just. Yeah. The, like the, we only use 1% of our brain and the other 99%. Yeah. yeah so, totally. I mean, we don't know if they're implanting stuff in him or, or they're doing anything extra. Right. But somehow he's able to, to achieve these metrics, these telepathic metrics without would not naturally Beyond somehow. human yeah. ability. Yeah. Yeah, natural. Yeah, that is really interesting. I didn't think about that. And and it's funny that because that, that kind of segues into this next section. He like he starts screaming, why me? Why me? Like, why are you picking me to do this? Like, I'm just your average. Gym yeah. Show. Like, I don't even want to learn this. Why me? And the supervisor comes and he says, write, write it in our language. Like, write that question. Like, because they weren't answering him. And so he writes it in the alien language. Why me <laughs> on the screen? And, and they then then the screen changes and it starts showing him it like goes back to World War Two, and there's a man in an, in an Italian like uh, military suit that looks just like him, but he knows it's not him, and he's like talking to these Nazis, and then he's pulled back again to like this Victorian masonry where he's like cutting the ribbon on this new I don't know mas- like a brick isn't a masonry like a brick creating facility sure. or something but yeah. he's like cutting the ribbon like he's the owner he's in like a shiny top hat and it looks just like him again then he's like pulled back again to this village um it's on a-, a hillside by the sea and like and he's working in the field with like a crude like pickaxe thing and then he's shifted again to a medieval inn where he's like clanking glasses around a round table and like it just keeps going back he goes back to rome and he's like he finds out he's part of the roman senate and then it goes back to the african savanna and like everything's stinky and and there's like these ape-like creatures but he feels like this attraction to one of them that's like he thinks he's like seen his entire genealogy right like he's seen his ancestors all the way back to the beginning of man and they all and, have uh, mullets and mustaches because and- <laughs> i'm picturing i'm picturing exactly. his mullet and his mustache which looks good on him by the way like just traveling through it time does. it does yes exactly so it just just kind of it's funny it's it's like they've been watching him his whole lot li- his whole family line not all not only his life but all of 
his genealogy life before him, you know, and they're they're like, we know you well. And just the same way that they showed like Teresa's life from birth, like they they follow people their entire But this lives. is consistent with other reports. This is consistent with other mm-hmm. stories, other research. The thing is, what I've said before, where like we take a book, we examine the pieces, we see if they match up to any of the other fragments of of these of this type of knowledge, and it lines up. Like the idea that these aliens abduct people and follow lineages, and like they kind of like breed. I don't know if you could say they breed, but they kind of they really are kind of, for lack of a better term, breeding and nurturing a lineage of humans and watching them. I mean, this is their, you know, yeah. you asked why, like, why wouldn't they just toss them back or it, for, because they've invested so much in this, in this That's person true. and their ancestors. It makes me wonder, you know, how we're, we, we think that things are left up to fate. Like everything is predetermined. I mean, we don't all think that, but you know, that's that's a that's sure. an idea, and it's like, it, is everything predetermined, or has it been determined by these higher beings or future versions of ourselves? Like, like Jim thinks, Jim thinks that these star people are are us from the future, going back and like kind of guiding time, like like they planned it. Very very interesting and kind of mind that we get to that mind breaking point where you're like, wait, but if, if it already happened, then the star people would have never existed to begin with. (laughs) Oh, true. There's a paradox there, but I really, that, I think a question that is interesting to me is, is like, how much are they in control of all of our destinies? Like, are they just in control of their, of their people that they're nurturing and you know, I don't, I don't want to say they're Guinea pigs or they're lab rats, but are they just in control of the human beings that they are kind of guiding through the universe or are they in control? Like, do they have anything to do with the afterlife? Do they have anything to do with Mm. like, you know, are some of them, I don't know, for lack of a better term, what's the spiritual context there? Like, are they literally in the bureaucracy of God or are they not? Did they create the mythos and the and the religions that we I don't I don't want to believe that, but where does that control end? And how does it relate to the rest of yeah. us? This story is so significant to me and it and it sounds like it is to you too because it's like you re- when you read this book, even if this sounds like bullshit, when you read this book, it's written in such a down-to-earth fashion. This is such like a, he says he's a normal guy. It's written from the perspective of like a really normal, nice guy that goes through some horrible stuff. And he just breaks it down for you in the most non-bullshit way. Yep. Also, his reaction to everything is so instinctual. And I mean, it's so upsetting, all of this, really. And 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 it really is like he's up against a wall he's terrified it's not a pleasurable experience for him i mean at some level living yeah. in ignorance and living your life without this in your life i'm sure if i'm sure if he had the choice ignorance is bliss yeah. right but but <laughs> yeah. this is the beginning this is the first half the this is like i think his perspective changes later on and and that that's that's going to be interesting to see because yeah up to this point it is torture in a lot of ways but th- you, you know you just brought a good thought idea to my mind is that like if 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 they've been following his entire lineage 
does that mean that they've been like abducting his entire lineage? Because it's like, what the fuck, dad? Why didn't you tell me about this or like give me a warning? Like this used to happen to grandpa or great grandpa, you know, or stuff like that. It's like it just it was so faux pas, even even when this is happening to Jim that he yeah, like, no one talked about it. And it's very interesting how that's going to shift with our like day and age now where people put everything on the internet or you know they just talk to they have therapists they talk to people about stuff like people we're very social beings we have to share what's going on with us and like it's just yeah i i wonder how that's going to change this kind of thing too um especially with like how much information is coming out from the government exactly and how that all ties in and like when is the time when is the time coming? Well, the, our awareness is growing. Our connection. I mean, look at us doing this show, right? Like, like people who maybe normally weren't into UFOs, like are starting to become conscious of this or starting to spread the information. Yeah. Cameras are available. Stories are available. People are more apt to believe you about this now. Definitely more than, than they were in his time. And what you were saying about the lineage thing is interesting because it's not clear if they abduct every person in that lineage or perhaps it's a right. key person every generation or maybe it's not the dad yeah. maybe it was the grandpa maybe it was him maybe they skip but they're always people watching. yeah i'm sure they're always yeah. watching they're the keepers after all right i mean they're they're protecting what's theirs basically well i think this is a good point to stop for our synchronizations before we get into the second half Ooh. of the book Okay, so I have one off the top of my head. Um, this happened recently. Uh, I brought my computer in to get uh, some things changed, and a really brilliant guy did the did the work, and his name was Elliot, right? So I I, I okay. you know I brought him in for that. Then uh, I told you all my synchronicities are either through TV like streaming or games because I don't go out as much as I should. <laughs> the synchronicity gods try to speak to me in any way they can. You know, I just got my computer back. Like the night that I get home with it, I sh I'm streaming this game called Stray, which is uh, where you play from the perspective of oh a cat. Oh my God, I want to play that oh so my God. much. Okay, yeah, I saw that. You would love that game. Oh my God, it's the most <laughs> adorable game but it's really cool you're playing from the perspective of a cat in a post-apocalyptic world there's this sort of sadness to it where you're running around these streets as a little cat trying but it's also very beautiful and it's inhabited by these little robot people that are mimic humans right and so at what point i have to go okay. find the computer specialist the tech guy basically he's the tech guy and I go find the tech guy. I scratch on the door, which is the way you make him open the door. And his name is fucking, his name is Elliot. Like the night, oh the gosh. night I bring home the computer, I'm playing as a cat and I have to go literally find a guy named Elliot. So that was that synchronicity. I love it. It was cool. Okay. I really need to get that game because I. I'm going to get you that game. <laughs> I'm going to get you a PlayStation 5 in the game. Well, I read that it could be for PlayStation 4 because we have a PS4. We don't have a PS4. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can get it on PS4 and... Uh, okay, I'm going to yeah, look you it can up. You can get it online, too. You don't have to go anywhere. You could just get it from the store. 
Yeah, Kyle was telling me about it, but he was like, "Oh, it's only or or PC." I saw someone else. Oh, if you have a if you have a PC, where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Before before you do yours, I'll say one other one old one that I never mentioned, but it is related to cats. My girlfriend was having dreams of a cat, a gray cat. Right. She's she was having dreams of a gray cat a while back, and she she said that cat's name was Puerta, which was door. She kept saying that the cat's name is door. The cat's name is door in Spanish. And then pretty much that same day or see the synchronicities, the timing is key because it's not like it happens way. It happens at the perfect moment. Ricardo at that moment had told me that he just got a new cat and it was a great cat. So it was like it was connected to her dream. And I was like, wow, that's weird. He didn't name it. No, he didn't name it. Puerto. No. All right. So I'll share mine. Um, Mine actually just happened to me while I was reading this book. I was I was having trouble focusing. It was like it was for some reason. I don't know. Like the stories are so interesting, but they're almost too much. Like you you read it and you have to walk away. You're just like, oh, I cannot read that read anymore. I'm so overwhelmed. Um, And so I I really needed to focus and, and read more. And I had put time aside specifically to read. And so I, I this is what I used to do when I would study in college. I would just put on instrumental music that was like from film and uh, and just put that on in the background because it kind of like pumped me up. And uh, I, so I just turned it on. I turned on a playlist. It's not even music that I own or have downloaded. It was just like on Apple Music. I put on a playlist and the very first song that played was a song from the new movie called Nope which I don't know if you know anything about, but it's Jordan Peele. Uh, it's an alien sure. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Movie. And that was the very first song that just randomly came up <laughs> while I was trying to read this alien abduction book. <laughs> and I was like, oof, that's that's too much. <laughs> oh, and, and the day that I was reading it was the day that it came out in theaters. Like, it just had dropped that day. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I want to see that movie and, and to see to see what, what, what really too. is going on there. But that is... That is funny. That is funny. That's some weird stuff right there. And that concludes our synchronicities for today. Back to the story. I'm going to just summarize. Uh, and and that way we're not taking time with scenes. I think there was too many scenes anyway. So, all right. They were good, though. So I understand. So we left off with Jim in North Carolina, um, feeling like shit, drinking himself into a stupor, like nothing was helping. And he realized he just couldn't escape. So he goes back to Texas and he he like looks terrible. Right. He's like lost so much weight. He's like 120 pounds. Like you imagine his face is all red and puffy because he hasn't been sleeping. And like any the, the drinking, the alcohol it probably has like a, a beer gut or something. And and his facial hair is like out of control. His head hairs his mullets out of control he just looks like shit right so he like walks up to his mailbox as he gets home and his neighbor larry sees him and and is just like in in awe of how this how this man looks because he's like wow that is not the gym that i just saw a couple weeks ago and uh (laughs) jim just casually is like yeah aliens man and the guy's like what and they go through this whole thing and like he ends up telling his neighbor who's a cop what's going on with him and uh just kind of gives him like a brief overview (laughs) and he and and he's like well what do you think and the his neighbor larry is like i believe you man this the same thing happened to my cousin like i'm gonna help you out and they get all these things and he like comes back and he has a carton 
carton of eggs and um, a, a doll with a crucifix on it and, and a bottle of holy water. And Jim's like, okay, like I'm going to just let you do your thing. And so he walks them all over the house, like takes them to that window in the guest room where he puts the makes doll. Makes him an omelet. Sprinkles yep. holy water. Yeah, makes him. <laughs> You're like, all you needed to do was eat an omelet. I just had an omelet this morning. Synchronicity. Um, yeah. And. Maybe that's why the aliens was, don't come to me. I just you, you're omelets. eating too many holy water omelets. <laughs> yeah, so he's there, like he's sprinkling holy water all over Jim's house, and he goes outside and he's like placing eggs right up against his house, like in his lawn, like they're having a little Easter right. hunt. Just really funny, but um, sadly, but unsurprisingly, Larry's solutions didn't help. Nothing, ha- nothing helped. But coincidentally, two days later, Jim starts seeing that he's being watched by these two men in a in a white Lincoln sedan. And they, they're like parked outside his house. They're always there. They follow him to the grocery store. He even like a couple times came up to them and was like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you following me? And of course, you know, he doesn't pay attention to the news and, and to to other, you know, abductees stories, all that frim fram. And so he doesn't realize that these could be what we know as the men in black. Mm. Right. And uh, he's screaming at them. They just they look like right through him. They don't even answer him. And he's like trying not to be paranoid. But every hour that he checks, they're just there. They never eat. They never sleep. They never leave. They're just always mm. there. And he finally just like decides to call the FBI and he is like gonna drive to the bureau and go talk to them and see what's going on. And they, uh, the two men in the car, they come out and they come talk to him. And they're like in their thirties. They're wearing a dark suit, like te- the kind of like ill-fitting, like we've described in the past. And um, they're like, "Dude, you have to stop talking to people about the things that are happening to you." And Jim's like, "What things? How do you know anything?" And he's like, "You know, like feeling like he's crazy. Like how would they know anything that's going on with him?" And uh, they're just like, you need, you just need to stop telling people, okay? And they're very casual about it, but he's like super aggressive and he like throws one of them up to the house and he's like, he's like, don't threaten me. Cause they, they're like, if you don't stop talking about it, we're gonna have to force you to stop talking about it. You know, like, I don't know, cut out his tongue or something, but he's like not taking the threats. And so he like throws one guy up to the side of his house and the guy doesn't even try to defend himself. The, the other guy with him like doesn't even react. They're just like chill, casual, weird totally not human right because that that is not how i would react if i was thrown up against a house so he kind of is getting this idea like okay maybe they're in on it right but he drives the fbi anyway he introduces himself as bob jones and says that he's being followed by a religious cult and uh one of the guys from the fbi is like takes him under his shoulder and he's like uh you know they're not doing anything illegal if they're just following you and he goes if they are doing something illegal though you should go to local authorities let them know and um We'll take it from there. And so, like, Jim just feels defeated. Oh, he's wow. Like, oh, fuck. And so, he, like, the guy walks him out to his car, and in the distance, he can see the white sedan. And the guy who's with him from the FBI just waves at the sedan. And, and Jim is like, oh, my God. Like, everybody's in on it. Everybody already knows. What an and insane feeling. He, yeah. He just, right? He just feels completely like he's done he doesn't know what to do so he he's infuriated he drives home and just passes out on his bed and he said it was one of the best sleeps he's had in a while he sleeps for like 10 hours straight just exhausted right and uh he said after he woke up the men were gone they were never there out out front of his house again so they they got their point across i guess so yeah they're just um a bunch of weird occurrences are still happening to Jim, he has another weird dream where he is brought, he's pulled and he's in like an examination room. But instead of 
aliens being there or different looking beings, he sees humans, like human doctors, and they're like all shaking his hand and congratulating him on graduating. And he's like, graduating from what? And he's like trying to think what this could mean. And and that's all that ever happened. And he's like, was I part of some like human experiment where I volunteered for this and then agreed to have my memory wiped so I couldn't remember that I volunteered for this? Or is this just like a weird scenario that the aliens are like putting in his mind to confuse him? He just like, there's so many things that this could be and he doesn't know what to think anymore. And uh, I mean, you can imagine how that would just slowly deteriorate your sense of existence <laughs> it's it's frightening he's so alone and in his theorizing about this and he's he doesn't have any clue what's especially if you see a bunch of humans congratulating you like that's just so confusing yeah <laughs> For what yeah what what do they know that i don't because apparently like but he learned the whole language of, of you know the aliens he's able to communicate with them and like the telepathy stuff was getting better and again they start like trusting him again and and one time he's pulled and he sees on a screen that this young girl and uh she's like half alien half human like some kind of hybrid um she's got thin wispy hair she's like 12 years old thin lips thin nose abnormally large almond eyes like all the kind of descriptors that we were talking about of the grays and instinctively he just knew it was his daughter which is really freaky it's like they used all that semen extraction and created this creepy little thin-haired girl and then the words tug of war appear on the screen and she starts drawing the alien symbols but she's doing it wrong and so he's like helping her and teaching her and even though it's like through a screen and she's not physically there he just feels this like immense sense of bonding by the way he never had any kids in real life so this is like weird for him and he like feels like a father he feels like he felt like he was hugging her without even touching her like that they really bonded and then he's just returned back to his couch very strange right to just like you're you're living a completely different life when you're when you're pulled like that out of the one that is what you consider yeah it's a parallel existence with different rules different different routines so wait where does he see her he sees her through a screen so he's not actually in the same Yeah, like on he's like not on a in screen. the same room with her. Right. But but he can not but he can communicate with her based on the, the showing of the symbols. Right, yeah. Like he's drawing them and she can see him drawing them. Like they're communicating. I guess like you and I are on this iPhone. <laughs> we're FaceTiming. But you're not physically here. Right. But, you know, we're connecting. We're looking at each other. We're talking. I to each other. that's a good that's a good point. I mean I, I, I really like you almost wish you could see what these people hybrids look like hybrids mm-hmm. look like you know like you, you yeah. wish you could see oh well thank you for bringing that up i mean it would be nice to see it irl but he does have a lot of illustrations in the book does so if you're curious you can you can look at yeah and there's an illustration of the of the little girl and she looks terrifying <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah there are lots of illustrations of, of some of the things that he describes and that that he goes through and i, I don't think he drew them it it I don't know. They're all labeled as like figures. So like figure 19, Jim experiences meeting his daughter on a screen. Like That's that cool. Stuff, so. I didn't I didn't um, remember that there were yeah. there, there were pictures. I I'd want to take a look at them. I don't know if maybe your edition doesn't have it cuz I I think that the the edition that I had has all these um like it has a foreword written by someone who was close to him and then it has like information written by John Mack um 
about like his experience reading this book and like and then there's like tons of citations at the end of the book um so i think that this might be like a later publication that was like they reprinted it um so it wouldn't surprise me if it wasn't illustrated in the original version yeah i just don't remember i think i think there were i think there were illustrations but i don't remember the alien hybrid daughter or whatever yeah so here's another strange story speaking of strange with with all the abductions that were happening and like him graduating and then having a daughter like all these like weird you know like they're they're more trusting of him and it's less torture right he's like having different experiences every time he's pulled so one of the nights he's pulled to the like a clearing in the middle of a forest and and he like comes to and he's standing up over like 15 other people who are there with him and they're all on the ground they're all like groggy and confused and like half naked they're you can tell they were all pulled out of their beds right and they're all like half asleep and they're paralyzed and like some of them are screaming because they're like they don't know what to do they're terrified they're like in the middle of nowhere just being pulled out of their bed and um he he's told by the voice in his head to calm them and so he does and he calms this like crying woman and he calms this guy who was who said he was driving one second and then the next second he was here in this field and like he starts freaking out so he calms him and he just feels like he's like sort of a, le- a leader of this group like a human leader and he and he's using the telepathy from the aliens to help like calm put put a sense of calm over the group and um like all of a sudden these three and he realizes there's two other groups in the clearing of like again 15 or so people so he's in one group and then there's another group like 20 feet away and then another group and um three ufos descend on top of each of those groups and there's this like huge white blinding light comes down over them and he he blacks out and he wakes up and he's in a foyer with this group again he's with just his group this time and the voice again says lead them so he does he leads them into this like big room with all these individual screens kind of like the room he was in but it's like a cubicle thing where it's like one big room with all okay. the screens and then uh, the, vo- the voice says seat them and so he does he seats them all down and he sits down at his own screen and all the screens start popping up with these images of earth and how beautiful it is and like flowing rivers and lakes and lush green wilderness and animals and yada yada and then all of a sudden the pictures change and they're like this like huge wave of depression fell over him and it shows brown foam in the lakes and black waste in the forest and the skies are gray and there's dead fish like floating on top of the water and then this the screen just says you are killing your planet and he blacks out again immediately and he wakes up and he's in a locker room with all the people the his group again and they're all they're all nude now and they all have like these scars from surgeries which is something that jim mentioned too that like the the aliens were doing some you know minor surgeries and stuff but the his wounds would always Mm -hmm. heal before he was even sent back home and so these people are looking down at their own wounds and they're like freaking out again so he calms them and then everyone's sent home and he wakes up and he has like a really sore right eye and he goes to the eye doctor about it and the eye doctor prescribes him some eye drops but he asks him he's like were you recently exposed to like extremely bright lights and jim thought that was kind of interesting because you know with the the ufo descending and like the bright light that made him like pass out yeah just some kind of weird occurrences like all of a sudden he's becoming like a leader like a like a human among the aliens, like helping the other humans get through, um, which is something that Jim probably could have benefited from when he was first being pulled. Uh, he never he was got in that basic training before. And and yeah, yeah, I mean, he didn't really have somebody 
that's the troubling thing is like there was nobody being nice to him from the beginning you know that's not what it was like like mm-hmm. it was like do this like you have to do this like you know it was, it was authoritative yeah. tough love yeah. without even the no love choice. you know yeah oh and there was another story where he was like he was brought the work the little workers brought him this like, black box and he was like what the hell is this and they left the room and they'd never left the room before so he was like in the room by himself like he could have just got up and walked around if he wanted to like they did it's just that trusting sense so he like slides the lid off and he sees all these test tubes and they're filled with like two inches of this thick brown sticky substance and he's like what the hell is this and it smells like terrible like rotting and they're like it is your gift we extracted it from your lungs <laughs> And so he realizes that they're like they're they're helping him stay healthy and alive and like keeping him, you know, because he 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 says he was a smoker, uh, too. So they pulled all that shit out of his lungs to like make him healthy and and live longer, which is really interesting. That's that that's a positive. Um, yeah, for sure. Those those surgeries yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause, well, because they want to make sure they, they, they spend all that time teaching him all this stuff. They don't want to lose him to emphysema right. or whatever. Um, and he makes a lot of changes to his life. He like stops eating red meat. He stops drinking. He just cold turkey, stops smoking. And he's treating his body a lot better. And his relationship is getting better with his wife. And um, like things are starting to look up again. But he's just still having these occurrences like several times a week. And and it's even though he's more used to it or like ready for it, it doesn't mean that it's not still frightful to him. Like he's not still terrified by what's happening. Hmm. He gets a chance to talk to Bud Hopkins. We have we talked about Bud not Hopkins yet. Before? Not yet. Yeah, I, I looked up. He's he's just uh, he's like a ufologist and he does a lot of UFO research and very prominent in alien abduction phenomena. So uh, he gets the opportunity to talk to him. He joins that That's support great. group in Florida. Yeah, he moves back home to Florida so that he can be like closer to family and closer to the Gulf of Mexico there. Um, he talks about how important that was to him as a child and like, you know, how, how much it really improved his life to be back there just in, in terms of like people seem more accepting of his stories there than they were in when he lived in Texas. And yeah, he, he finally has like a support group and, and someone to talk to and, and it's getting him to the right people and he's meeting the right people and he meets Bud Hopkins who goes through a period of hypnosis with him and uh, he discovers that one time he was lost as a kid in New York City and he rem- he has that memory that he lost his mom in New York City but he was reminded of the rest of that memory which was a man in a dark suit coming up to him and offering to help him find his mom and he thought like that they just drove around in a car but from his child memory he realized that they were like looking down onto the streets and that he was actually in like a craft like some kind of flying craft looking and he found his mother which is really freaky but she said he was only gone for like a minute and he said that they had been driving around for like hours so again with that wow thing kind of freaky (laughs) interesting for him to remember that Um, or at least to recall it now right but it's just uh, you know it's it's cool to see sort of what it's like from the inside of the abduction, you know, and I want to cover more abduction stories because it's, it's important that we now start to enter the UFO. You know, we've talked a lot about the UFO on the outside and its relationship to earth, but it's important as, as a show for us to now enter, enter the mind of the abductees and, and to see the stories. Yeah. Good title. (laughs) Enter the UFO. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I agree. I think this is 
And this is a very unique um, abduction story because of the, of how many abductions there are and how well he remembers. Exactly. Them, which is unlike a ton of his support group. He actually helped a lot of the people in his support group who can't put odds and ends together and they're just terrified. And he tells his story and it's like, oh, that was similar to my experience, but you filled in some of the holes that I don't remember. And it like made, it helps other people remember and, and put odds and ends together. He, and so, yeah, his, his, he's very unique in that sense. Exactly. He has very good memory. He, he takes, <laughs> he has techniques that he talks about that he employs from the beginning to remember. And that's how he takes control yeah. because he remembers the experiences. He he he's able to get himself conscious. That's how he fights. Is he has the ability to yeah. to not not be completely hypnotized by the experience. Well, I yeah, and I think he had to train his mind to oh, do that totally. too. He was like, all right, this time I'm going to remember. And every abduction, he was remembering a little bit more and more, and, and you know things were getting clearer every time. Maybe it's Very akin to lucid dreaming. Like I think they say, one of the techniques is for you to acknowledge mm. that I'm dreaming and I have control. You know, I have control. You know, and and Stream you're able to take control of yeah. your dreams. Maybe it's similar. You know. Oh, I wish I could do that. I need to. I need to work. Lucid like dreaming. <laughs> I need to work more yeah. when I'm sleeping. <laughs> it would be nice to have control. I mean, that those are experiences that you don't have control over. I, you know, I have a lot of nightmares sometimes. I've I've had alien dreams myself, like not like not like this, but I've seen crafts and stuff like that. And and it would be nice to have control over those dreams. But how do you do that? You know, you have to begin that process. You have to begin that. Maybe we'll do some episodes on lucid dreaming sometime so we can kind of educate ourselves on that. So so it's it seems like things change for him. He starts to feel more comfortable. He's more accepting of his circumstances and he gets support and realizes that he's not alone. Yep. I I would agree. At least that's the way that this book ends on a positive note. But again, it was written almost, you know, 15 16 years ago at this point. So it's like what has happened since then? Like is he still being abducted? Is everything still like on the up and up or have they cut off ties completely? You know, I'm just really curious to know what what's going on since Me this too. book was written. But this this last story is one of the most powerful parts of the book, I thought. And um, naturally, it's at the end. But Jim is pulled again. Uh, everything was really calm this time. Nothing was like jarring or, you know, that, that uh, pressure, air pressure in the head. Nothing smelled bad. Like, he actually felt really relaxed and calm. And he felt his body descending over um, what was like a, a an old abandoned carnival and he, he could see it and down below he could see like a semicircle of aliens in a group like a, a group and um, but they were different this time he said they weren't like the star people that he had been previously communicating with um, and he was slowly regaining his consciousness um, he said that they stood in this semicircle and they had screen imaged human faces and they they spoke almost as if they were one telepathic voice. We would have given it to you, but it wouldn't have meant anything unless you earned it. It was the only way you could possibly understand what you have been a part of and what you have to do. It's true that we have been in contact with your heads of power. It is also true that agreements have been made and kept secret from your people. We contacted your leaders because your planet is in grave trouble. Your leaders said the vast majority of your population wasn't ready for anything like us yet. So we made time arrangements with your leaders 
as to when your people would be made aware of our presence. This part of the agreement has not at all been kept. It was also agreed that in the meantime, steps would be taken to correct the environmental condition of your planet with our advice and technology. We say advice because we respect the fact that this is your planet, not ours. They also broke this agreement. You aren't giving up on us, are you? There was a long silent pause and Jim felt a wave of emotion transmitted to him, like a tremendous loss. Well, are you? No. Your air, your water are contaminated. Your forests, jungles, trees, and plant life are dying. There are several breaks in your food chain. You have an overwhelming amount of nuclear and biological weapons, which include nuclear and biological contamination. Your planet is overpopulated. Warning, it is almost the point of being too late, unless your people act. There are better ways of deriving energy and food without causing your planet any damage. Those in power are aware of this and have the capability of putting these methods into worldwide use. Why aren't we doing that now? Those in power view it as a military and security You mean threat. to tell me that the people in power have the ability to save and better this planet and they aren't doing it? Amnesty. What do you mean? Complete amnesty to those in power governments and leaders who have been suppressing the truth. They can't be held liable for any past wrong deeds. It is the only way these leaders can come forward with the truth. It is necessary that you do this in order to work together and survive. How do I fit in all of this? What can I possibly do? What you are already doing. We will share much more knowledge with you in the future. Although you understand a lot, we will show you much more. Continue to work with people that come to you. We are aware the small groups that are forming around the world are people who are prepared to learn. Consider them the core. Most important is the condition of your planet. The first step in solving this serious problem is amnesty. It began raining hard. No one moved because no one was getting wet. It was as if everyone was protected by an electrical field. It is time to go. Wait, please. I don't want to go yet. I want to see what you really look like. It will strike fear in your heart. I won't be frightened. It would be a privilege to see you. Maybe you could wave as a peaceful gesture? A spinning white greenish light began to radiate over their faces. Then Jim could see their faces. Their upper bodies were like large football players. They had scales, and their faces were lizard-like. Their eyes were small, diamond-shaped with reddish pupils. Their heads were big, and their brows stuck out. Hey, uh, you promised to, uh, wave. They all slowly lifted their arms and waved at Jim simultaneously. Their hands were huge and club-like. Jim blacked out and woke up back home. <laughs> wow. Oof. That's a tough one. That is so powerful. I mean, the, like the way that 
like he finally gets to a point where they will communicate with him. They explain to him that he wouldn't, none of this would really be effective if they hadn't kind of worked his way up to gaining the privilege of this information. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, and it seems that they're, if they're, if that is their true form, it seems that they're what we consider reptilian. They're right. like, they're not, they're not grays yeah. necessarily. And the, at least these guys aren't. Maybe the people in charge and yeah. and they're not drones, they're not humanoids. And they seem to show a lot more emotion than than the star people. They have an overwhelming concern for our planet and yeah. they are trying <laughs> everything they can. And you know what's really sad is that at some level, because this was written years ago, at some level, this is working, let's say. It, yeah. We are getting more knowledgeable. You know, this is... Um, you know, after an inconvenient truth, after all these world sort of moments of taking in climate change, we're still not moving fast enough. I think we miss we miss the cutoff. You know, if they expected us to act right away right. in the eighties or the nineties, you know, I at know, this point yeah. we're we're farther along, and and you just gotta wonder like how close are we to what what the worst case scenario of their visions are? You know, is it? <laughs> 20 years away, yeah, 30 yeah. years away, 100 years away. Like when right. when was this? Yeah, that's another thing too is like time is different for these beings. So maybe if they're like you have to act now, it's like, "Oh, like within the next 1000 years or like 10 minutes or like what are we talking about here? Like what's our time frame?" Or 10 <laughs> you know? years, you know, um, like like I think yeah. our generations worry about I know I do, like is our life in our lifetime are we going to see some seriously catastrophic changes because we're already experiencing incredibly high temperatures everywhere you know england wherever whatever you think that you're not going to get extreme heat it's happening icebergs are melting things are the signs are not looking good right but how long do we have before this gets serious you know what what was your impression of this scene and and this part of the story how did this affect you? It felt really urgent. And I think this was right at the end of the book, which is when I started going down my rabbit hole of, of trying to find Jim and a lot of the people that he talks about in his book. It sent me down this spiral of like, wow, it's been, you know, 15, 16 years since this book came out. What 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 have we done? What have we not done? Like he Jim Jim is said to have this um group called I think it's called the Your Earth Foundation and I looked it up doesn't exist I can't find a website I can't find any information any articles written about it nothing I found Jim's email address because he puts it in the book and he's like uh send me a quick email about what you're interested in and like we can talk about uh you know getting together in the future and talking about stuff and he says like his rate is typically a hundred dollars an hour haha and so i emailed him just to be like hey like we run this podcast be very interested to know what you're doing now and how we can help out and uh not only did i not hear a response but the email bounced back it's like that i was gonna ask you if it bounced back i'm like Mm -hmm. i'd be happy to pay him a hundred bucks to have a conversation with him um but yeah, right. Especially, you know, but here's something that I had heard about Jim Sparks. And I didn't want to say this earlier on, but okay. You have to think about if, if this is true, this guy is being visited a lot. He's, this is a huge part of his life. Certain abductees 
This is like this doesn't go away just because the Netflix special is over or the podcast interview is over. This is their life. They have to deal with this on a regular basis. So you you factor that in. Yeah. You factor in the message of this book, which is in an essence like it's a warning. It it almost justifies everything that he went through if you think about it. Not that it can justify what he's been through or what they put him through, but it, it helps you understand it from a perspective of like, holy shit, like this is if they if they're trying to pull people from the earth and brainwash them into making a difference and making a change. I think he even talks about at the end of the book that he changes his life and becomes more environmental then starts these foundations. Yep. But then there are people in the UFO community like any great community on social media who just turned on him, who, who started to. Cl- who started oh, really? to claim that everything that he had been shown was purposely meant to deceive him, that he was a victim of this message, that it's not some environmentally friendly message, that that they're basically just using him as a guinea pig and like they don't care about the earth. Like very, very negative response to his story. Huh. And so sad. the the reason that makes me sad, if that's true, and and I don't put it past social media to do so, because social media does that without reading books. Well, I'm sure without reading his book, without doing any research on the subject or whatever, it's because his story is not black and white. It's not. He's not painting it as like these are the angels that came from. You know, I think ultimately he feels like. That he is privileged. If you look at that 2012 interview, he feels privileged to have contact. He says he doesn't want to tell too much about what happens to him because he doesn't want the experiences to go away. I mean, that's yeah, that's kind of yeah. frightening because it's like at this point he is like almost like his wife. Like he is he's sold in a different way on the experience. So I can mm-hmm. see how that's a little bit frightening, but at the same time. I love this book because it's not sugarcoating what happens to him. It's not trying to tell you that that just the ends justify the means. But let's face it, the message in this scene, this is real. This is happening to our planet. And and we can see it firsthand. And there are abductees. So you put two and two together, maybe it's not for our own good. Maybe it's for them. They want to continue to have their laboratory mm-hmm. on Earth or or we're important to them or we're important to the story of the universe and they don't want to see us completely implode. You know, maybe it's they're fighting mm-hmm. against something that they see as inevitable. But at the same time, if there are future humans, if these are aliens, then it's it's, it's the paradox that you're talking about. What what future what future yeah. did they come from? And how do they even exist if the exactly. earth just completely gets destroyed? If you said he begins a story mentioning that they that he thinks that they are interdimensional beings are distant relatives from the future. You know, not only does he believe that, but if you look at course, remember when we covered Corso's report from the day after Roswell, he mentions that these are more akin to time travelers than they are to space travelers. Like they seem to be beings from another time, but they're connected to us. They, they, they they share some of our biology. Not that those beings are exactly this. I think those are more like (sighs) we discussed. Those are more like time traveling sort of engineered beings, but, but we're talking about, 
What exactly? It, well, it opens up the multiverse. Are they coming from a different universe to warn yeah. us? Like in our universe, like like in their universe, this didn't happen. But in, in our universe, this catastrophe does occur. And, and they're worried that maybe our universe could implode their own. Or, or maybe they are from this universe, but they have to make sure that the message gets through so that they can continue to live. It's like, yeah. It's- exactly. Maybe that's how they exist. If they're on our time line like maybe they exist because they came back and engineered and it's like this loop right they had to come back and do this for another another in order for us to exist in the future and i don't think those loops are so unusual i think time is sort of linked in that weird way and (laughs) i hope that he is okay I really, I, I, it concerns me. I hope Teresa's okay. You know, I would love to know that they're okay. I can understand why it seems like he tried the approach of being in the public eye and then he either something happened to him or he just changed his mind. A lot of people change their mind about being in the public eye. You know, YouTubers shut down their channels. People stop doing what they're doing and they just, they get out of the public eye. I think for him, uh, you know, maybe he doesn't need to be in the public eye. He has plenty of support groups. He's still, I don't know if he still speaks. We'll we'll have to see if we can find any information on him to see where this goes. I, yeah, I went on like a whole, like multiple hour excursion trying to find anything that led me to him or like another person who knew him or someone else I could reach to or another foundation that he might be involved with. And, um, man, it just like, I, I sent out a lot of emails and I have, I'm still waiting on a response. So like, as of filming today, I have not been able to reach him, but who knows if that'll change in the, in the future. But (laughs) I just want to know that he made it. He's a a smart guy (laughs) and he knows that people will try to find him online. So maybe he changed his name, but look, the point is not for everybody to go looking for this person. The point is just, it's just, you know, we wish him well, but the message, the message of the book And I think that's where these things become even trippier is that perhaps the purpose of what happened to him was also so that he would write the book so that he would spread the message and his message essentially is still being echoed throughout time. And I think maybe the, maybe the issue that people have is that perhaps they wanted you to spread this propaganda that the aliens are here to help you save the environment, but Maybe they're just using yeah. us, you know, or or I want to believe that that, you know, there are different factions of aliens or interdimensional beings, and perhaps some of them really are concerned about the planet. And I don't think that's so unreasonable. I know I was going to say the same thing. I feel like it's a humanity thing to be like, oh, the, nobody else cares about us. People just care about themselves. Maybe that's just a human thing. Like maybe other beings and cultures don't actually feel like they just care about themselves and like they're very selfish by nature that's not that can't be every sentient beings it's it's not i mean i i don't think so i think there are two ways that you can see beings intelligent beings advancing and those are intelligent beings that serve themselves and yeah they might be very materialist kinds of aliens or beings that just care about their toys and everything like that and just dominating others or beings that are guardians of the rest of us. And, you know, who knows where this story continues. The interesting thing is thinking 
Like, imagine if there are 10 more chapters added to this story. What do they look like? And what do they have to do with Jim Sparks's silence? You know, are they good chapters? Mm -hmm. Does he learn more and realize something that is contrary to this? I mean, mm. or maybe this is just enough. This is enough of the message for us. And that's, 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 there's, yeah. we're not going to learn more than this from his experiences. So. <sighs> Well, it's it was definitely a wake up call. I've always been someone who, you know, tries to do better for the environment. It just feels like, you know, you're the little man under these huge corporations that are that are doing most of the wasting and, and you know, overproducing food and manufacturing livestock and, and meat and stuff. And it's like, yeah, I can make a difference in my own little way, but it's, it's hard not to like fall into that helpless pit of just like, what I would do doesn't matter because it can't be large scale. Like I can't, I still have to go to work and like dump out milk that just says sell by date because we can't use it past that date just because the date is printed on the thing, even if the milk is fine. And that just, it really like hurts my heart to like do that and work in food service and just see the amount of food that's just dumped and wasted just because of a little sign that's printed by the FDA or whatever. And, and that's, and that's just a small part of, you know, that, <laughs> happens all over the I world. know there's so much there's so much guilt as we as we because I mean we still live in this society where we have so much plastic where we where we eat a lot of fish and you know I think a huge contributing factor to pollution are the fishing nets and the plastic that's in the ocean and, yeah, yeah. and the effect that has on our ability to breathe and you know it's just um on the oxygen and everything I mean Maybe it's just about finding one thing, you know, finding one thing you can do and starting with that because it's too overwhelming to think I have to save the planet, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like, so, yeah. you know, bringing your own bags to the grocery store is, is feels great. <laughs> and like, what, what else can you it do, does. you know? But sometimes you don't have a choice to use a single use plastic and because you need a product or whatever. And it's just, it's hard to, you you really have to go out of your way to avoid those things and like make the active choice. And and sometimes you don't have the time or the money or the effort to be, to do the right thing. And that, But that's because at the end of the day, it's the larger scale companies that are producing those things in single use plastic and yada yada. And that's preventing the the consumer to make the right choice <laughs> well uh, you know i think that things are moving uh, people are trying you know i think no matter what the politicians are saying today their tune might be different in a few years because climate change will not allow them to continue to make it a political issue hopefully hopefully we'll we'll continue hopefully. to see <laughs> progress and otherwise we'll deal with the consequences and uh in the yeah, meantime yeah. you can pick up this book and start learning this alien language uh but i, I i'm not sure i'm not sure i would advise <laughs> it <laughs> um i think one last thing i wanted to add from the book before we sign off for the day is um jim included several um organizations that are making a difference um, in the world. And this is something I, I think w we can post on our Instagram too once this episode drops. Um, but I'm just going to read off the names so that you have them here in your in your in your ear. As Great. A little earworm. So we have the rain, the Rainforest Alliance, the Amazon Conservation Team, Seacology, Tropical Rainforest Coalition and Nature Conservancy. 
And again, you can follow us on Instagram. I'll probably post it on Twitter too. That's it for today's feast. Thank you for dining with us. Hold your cosmic appetites for next time. And reach out to us on Twitter and follow us on Instagram at Cosmic Feast. 